Welcome to Minefields. My name is Joshua Michael. I have the wonderful Mr. Justin Taylor, and it is an absolute pleasure to make your acquaintance. How's it going, man? Man, it is going great, man, and I thank you, Joshua, for having me, man. This is going to be fun. The living proof, eh? That's right. That is the name, uh, West Texas wrestler extraordinaire, uh, you know, the belt collector, the personification of motivation, all of those names. But, yes, the most popular and the one that I um, – the name that is near and dear to my heart is the living proof. Don't take this the wrong way, but most popular, yes. But also, God damn, are you photogenic. You know what you were doing when you are taking photos. You knew exactly what you were doing. <laughs> man, I appreciate that, man. I mean, after uh, 12 years of all those bumps and bruises, I mean, sometimes the the most fun thing I do is uh, what, what we do out of the ring. So mm-hmm. I enjoy uh, photo sessions and stuff like that because uh, it's kind of the calm before the storm, you know, when we get to bouncing around in the ring. So, yeah, man, I enjoyed it, man. I can't... Uh, Wait to see um, more of what you took, man. I'm I'm excited about them. No, you'll you'll, you'll dig it. I'm pre- I'm pretty excited about them myself, man. I I knew they were money when we were taking them, and, uh, and I appreciate you uh, taking such a good time with me uh, because a lot of people don't understand what what Minefields does, uh, but you did, and took the time. Like you posed no matter what. Like you know you you, you took direction. We you know we we had we shot back and forth ideas. And what the pro- the finished product you're gonna you're gonna really like. Uh, the other the other thing, and I want to make sure anyone else listening is the fact that those photos are for everyone. So of all those photos that I have of you, remember I posed you left, posed you right, looking forward. So anytime like you know that one of those photos is gonna fit into a flyer, hit me up and I'll cut you out of the green and then send you the nice pretty high end res thing. And that's what we do here at Minefields. Thank you, Mr. Rick, for letting me go on backstage to do that. Oh, okay, great, man. Well, that's perfect, actually. So, yeah, that that's awesome. And you were very easy to work with as well, man. I mean, I can't stress that enough. I've worked with certain photographers and stuff like that, and it hasn't always been a great experience, or they don't really have any ideas, or they're not very, you know, sometimes you got to help the talent put their best face forward, yeah. so to speak. When it comes to the camera. So I really appreciate you uh, coming through on that end as well because that doesn't always happen. Uh, I appreciate the kind words, man. It was a lot of fun working backstage. I absolutely love working in Lubbock. Before we get started, I wanted to start the the interview with a little bit of jelly. Um, I got my birthday present in the mail today, and I just unboxed a MJF. Oh, nice. Uh, Frankie Kazarian, my family hooked it up. I got Frankie Kazarian, Scorpio Sky with the belts, Ashita, Pentagon, Phoenix, Darby, Moxley, Hangman, <laughs> Pac, Damn. Pac, and then there's some McFarlane stuff that came the other day, man. But, like, these are these are going on the wall. Oh, man. Man, like all of that sounded so exciting, but but the most exciting thing you said was at the end when you said McFarland. Are we talking about Todd McFarland, Spawn McFarland? You talking about Todd McFarland figures? I am. Did I hear that right? I am absolutely talking about Todd McFarland figures. Uh, Hell yes. 
Yeah, those DC... Todd McFarlane has been robbing me since I was 12 years old. Man, dude, like, isn't he, like, just the best artist? I mean, I like, I mean, as far as just, I mean, man, I just think about so many comics back then that I loved because of his artwork. And when I first saw Todd McFarlane figures, I was like, why don't I just have all of these? So that, that warmed my heart that. You're an avid collector of his stuff, man, because he's the absolute shit. He's the best, man. He's the Todd father. I got a, uh, I got all of the, um, what, what did I get for, for for Todd figures? I'm trying to think which ones I opened. I got the new ones. I got I got um, Bizarro, Damien, uh, oh. Darkside, Steppenwolf, and the. Red Hood and Nightwing box set, and I can't bring myself to open that thing. Don't, do, just do me a favor. Don't do it. I can't do you it. You know, just it's, don't do it. It's too pretty, man. It's too pretty. Yeah, yeah. I'm I'm glad you brought up uh, McFarland because I've always wanted to have a conversation with a with an African American gentleman that understood comic books in the first place. Like you're, you're absolutely telling me now, you don't just pull Todd McFarland out and know exactly what we're talking about. Um, did you ever read Spawn? Yes, yes. I mean, I don't know if it, it'd be possible to be a black person, comic book fan, and not if Red Spawn, because, you know, he is probably one of the the coolest black characters that I think, in all, to me, in all of fiction, but definitely comic books. Oh, yeah. So, so yeah, so, you know, it's always nice to read and follow a character that 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 has your likeness and stuff like that and 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 that came at a time where you know we're talking 90s comics and stuff like that so yeah you know yes there were black characters but man he was so different and the and the atmosphere was so dark and it was bloody and it was brutal and like the the subject matter was just very adult, you know what I mean? You felt like you were reading something special with Spawn. And again, Todd McFarlane's artwork, just the way that the Violator looks, the way that Spawn would look, I mean, just all of them, man. Like he just did such an excellent job when that comic for, when that comic was first released, and I was hooked immediately, man. So yes. I have read Spawn. <laughs> uh, yeah, absolutely, man. Uh, before we get more in depth in, in, in a little bit more of the, the cultural impact on that, because it's, it's really intriguing to me, um, how bad did you pop when Michael J. White, when they, they said Michael J. White was going to play was gonna play Spawn? Man, I was so happy about that, because I was like, dude, he's perfect. Oh. Like, he's got, he's got the martial arts fighting background. He's got... So he's already got that. He's a big, you know, six three, six four, big body. But but he's all. But he's got the um, experience with martial arts movies and action films. So I thought he was a perfect choice, man. I, I mean, when I when I when I found out it was him, I was exceptionally excited about that. Oh man, like I, I I'm I'm a little jealous uh, because I didn't know who Michael J. White was. I just knew he was a badass, and uh, like, like the internet was barely around to even look up anything that uh, I knew he was a, a fighter, but not like that. And then now, like. Now in, in twenty twenty hindsight, or actually twenty twenty one hindsight here, um, Black Dynamite was Spawn. <laughs> 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 Dude, 
Black Dynamite was fun. That's one of the coolest things yeah. in the fucking world to me, man. And uh, Yeah, that was a good movie. Yep. It was um, tight. Now, one of the reasons I think it was so special, and this is something I have a really big problem with, is when uh, comic book or companies or like a like or Disney, like a, a big company decides that they wanna like we don't have enough of this demographic reading. Uh, so we we need to arbitrarily make something uh, black, gay, transgender. I don't have a problem with it. What I have a problem is is when they talk down to, to those demographics. Like, they're not smart enough to know that this is a cash grab. And when they did that, was when Todd picked his... Well, I think it was his roommate and one of his best friends from uh, college. It was organic. He picked him because he loved the guy. And it really emulated to me... Uh, well, uh, well, not emulated. Uh, and uh, it... It was obvious that this was not a cash grab, like where he was trying to make a comic book for black children or, or teenagers or adults uh, to, to get their money. You, you know what I'm saying? I get I get some of that uh, point of view a little bit. I, yeah, you, I, I think um, I can definitely agree with the fact that it didn't feel like it was pandering in a way or trying to cater, or trying to say, look, black readers, Spawn is for you. You know, it really wasn't that kind of thing. You know what I mean? It was just that it was cool that he was black, but what made him great was the story. You know what I mean? It's never enough just to have a black character, a gay character, or anything like that. What is the story? Is it interesting? Yes, is it sir. good? What is it about? Like, like what, what, what issues are you going to tackle? So I think that all of that has to come into play first because the moment it feels disingenuous yes, or sir. feels like a cash grab or something like that, then, yeah, you know, I mean, fans are going to sense that and smell that a mile away. Mm-hmm. That's, that's precisely my point. And I, I was curious if you felt the same way because – uh, like, for example, I'm Mexican, and then a couple, like, eight, nine months ago, like, uh, white people wanted to cancel uh, uh, Speedy Gonzalez for us, for us, um, and we were like, I, I, I don't think so, <laughs> uh, abs- <laughs> absolutely not, and I never, I never found Speedy Gonzalez racist, that's stupid, like, he was hilarious, like, like we had a cool character that was, that, that talked like us, and I, I, I'm glad you feel the same way, because... It, it's it's one of those things that I it, and you said the perfect word disingenuous like what 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 are you you, you stupid like okay I'm black I um, uh, I should buy this comic because I'm black that's bullshit like that's that's talking down to you like, like you're not like an intelligent human being that's not going to see that shit coming absolutely you are and I, I man I just I want more good stories and as a wrestler I know for goddamn sure you, you're that's what you're what you are uh, primarily focused upon. Yeah, for sure, because, I mean, that's what we do, right? We try to tell um, interesting, captivating, motivating stories in the ring. And the reason why I'm so big on that, you know, from my perspective as a wrestler, is because I grew up on things like comic books that told captivating, motivating, engaging stories. So... I want that same thing in my comic book material. And I get it. I mean, I understand that there is a need for inclusivity. 
I get it. Agreed. Because because um you know that hasn't always been an agenda. That hasn't always been addressed. Different things like that. But there's a way to do it, and there's a way to do it to where it benefits everyone involved, and it doesn't seem like it's hurting the issues more than it is helping them. So you got to watch for that kind of stuff, you know. I really appreciate you sharing that, uh, just just flat out like that. And I also appreciate you letting me go, like, a little bit on a, like, uh, not really a tangent, but talking about something that's, you know, kind of dangerous. Um you know, you don't know me from Adam, and I'll, like, this is like, we're like 12 minutes into this, and I'm like, let's talk about black culture. Um, I don't know that much about it, but I, I it's it's something I, I, I want to learn. I, I want to learn all cultures, that sort of thing, and I, I'm just trying to tell you, thank you for letting me talk about that. Well, yeah, man, and I think that that's really the first step that people need to take. I mean, you know, I, I always tell people this, and this is something that I've posted on my social media before. When it comes to a lot of issues like this, the first thing you have to do is ask the inner questions before you start asking the outer ones, or what I call the external questions. Like, a lot of times I think with these issues, um, the, 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 re, the knee-jerk reaction is to lash out. Or to say, whose fault is this? Or why are they doing this? Why are they trying to take this away? Why are they trying to cancel? And I think that the the first thing you have to do is address where you fit into all of this. So if it's an issue concerning black people, Mm -hmm. I think the first question you have to answer is kind of what you have. And that's, do I understand black culture enough to really understand this issue? And if the answer is no, then you need to do something about that first. You need to ask people. You need to look for different opinions. You need to educate yourself. You need to understand the issues more before you just react and attack. And so that's what I would encourage people to do. I find when you when you ask more inner questions, you just tend to uh, it tends you tend to approach a situation better. What do I need to do? What questions do I need to ask? Does this actually affect me? If it doesn't, is there a friend that I have that this affects? What actions can I take? Put some responsibility on yourself and educate yourself about these issues as best you can. That's a wonderful way to put it, man. I've never thought about it. I mean, I've thought about it in terms of like. Because when the Black Lives Matter really took uh, uh, movement really took off uh, last year uh, around the summer, um, I realized I didn't know that much about it. And then uh, the more research I did, the more I realized I don't know jack shit. And then then I came upon the conclusion like if you don't know, just ask. And then yes, we, we were. Uh, I had the honor of DJing the Black Wrestlers Matter Matter show at your mom's house, this awesome venue here in Denver. And, uh, awesome, man! Dude, it was, awesome. It, it was it was a it was an honor. It was, but it was. I, I, I rode up with uh, a bunch of black dudes wrestlers on the way up there, and it was one of the funnest times I've ever had in my life because they just wanted to. They were just in a good mood. They wanted to make this work. COVID was like full blown, and you know we were doing everything mm. to be as safe as possible. And then uh, then I get there and I'm like, oh wait, I got to be really careful at what I play for this music. But I can't just, I can't just play something I think that uh, this culture is going to want to like. 
I need to like think. I think hard. So I remember one of the first songs I played was across 110th Street, and this older black lady came up to me. And she says, "How did you know to play this song?" <laughs> and I was like, "Well, I've seen the movie." And she was like, "This is a perfect song to play. Thank you." And uh, I, I, you know, I kind of, I kind of copped out. I played shot A, but I couldn't help it because <laughs> I played shot A, and um, it was just a, a wonderful experience. Uh, the uh, one of the gentlemen that was uh, part of, main part of the show, uh, his name's Chongo. I, I really hope you get a chance to meet him and, and wrestle him. He's one of the best in the state. And I'll send you his info later on. Uh, he, sure, sure. Uh, white dude, grew up in Compton, um, had a lot to say. However, his son is half black. And during the, during the show, uh, two of the commentators were talking about this, about the, the issues that were coming out. He comes out in character about, like, you don't know what you're talking about. And, you know, just, like, basically being the man. And they, you know, they super kicked his ass. And then they explained to him, like, you, you're not part of this. You don't, like, it, but if you want to be, you can. But you need to ask questions to understand. And, like, that, that was the whole, the, like, he obviously knew what was going on. But, like, he was trying to, like, yeah. make, like, a parody of it. And, like, it got over with the crowd. Like, they, the, the, the few people that were there, I mean, there was a... a, a not that many because of COVID, but it was such a powerful message. And like it, it, I really wish some more people had seen that sort of thing. And here you're bringing it up just like poetry, man. I appreciate you. Well, man, that's a, that's a great story. And I'm glad that they kind of did something like that in the performance. But the lesson was a good lesson to kind of raise awareness about those issues or how those issues should be approached and i totally get it man it's funny because like when the black lives matter really started and everything happened with george floyd and all of that had um kind of occurred uh i tell people all the time some of the worst conversations i had during that time were with white people but at the same time some of the best conversations i had about black lives matter were with white people and the difference was is that the white people that came to me saying look i don't know enough i don't know anything about this i don't know and there were some hispanics too now that i think about it mm -hmm. uh but but those people that approached me and said justin make me understand this help me understand what why people are angry are you angry how do you feel about it how does the black community feel about it I don't know. I can't relate to this. So can you help me at least understand what you and everybody else is going through and what this is all about? You know, what is the bigger picture here? I had great conversations with people like that because they're asking those inner questions. They're saying, I don't understand. Who can I ask about this? What can I do to better understand this? The other side of that, though, were people... Um, lashing out. Why are you angry? Why should you be angry about this? What right do you have to do this to us or to do this or say this or whatever the case may be? Right. And that was the difference most of the time in those conversations. So I'm glad they did that at the show. If, if you don't mind me asking, what did you learn about yourself that was new that you didn't realize? That's a great question. Um... I think really what I knew, what I realized is that there could be so many people that are your friends, right? Like you can have these close friends 
and these people that you've grown up with your whole life in the wrestling business and stuff like that. And then shockingly, during that time, I found out that these people do not understand me at all. And I think that was the hardest reality to have to deal with. When you have friends that you thought maybe understood you on a certain level or understood or had a better understanding of black people and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. And then when this came out and you see people posting opinions and talking about things they shouldn't or shunning things that they have no clue about. And then you realize, oh, this is how this person really thought. I've written in the car with this person. I've, you know, I, I've come to this person's house. This person has slept at my house. We've shared hotel rooms traveling up the roads, and this is how they really feel. And that, that, that is tough. You, you know, that, that was tough to it deal broke with. Your Just, heart. Yeah, it breaks your heart. Um, but, but, but they aren't all bad stories, man. That was probably the toughest thing. But also, you it, you also find out more about people that you didn't know, people who were standing for the cause or who would have conversations with you and say, look, I support you. You know, I know I don't say much. There were people that would chime in and say, look, I've been following you and the stuff you've been saying and the protests you've been going to. I, I just want to say that. That, that you inspire me and I'm proud of you for what you're doing for your people. I don't understand it. I don't get all of it, but I'm following you and through you, I'm gaining a better understanding. So those were some good stories too. So it wasn't all bad, but yeah, some harsh realities uh, definitely at this time. I bet you got a lot of good God bless yous. Man, I, I did get some of those. Yep. There's, Definitely. There's, there's, some of those. there's God bless you's, but then when you get a good God bless you, like, whoa, like, you, you, you feel it. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah, that's true. Sometimes, the depending on who it comes from and how genuine it is, yes, yeah. there's definitely something about that. Well, I, I appreciate you sharing that, man. The last question I want to just kind of, while we talk about other things, um, is so you learned that about supposed friends and it broke your heart as a man how did you deal with it in terms of like not getting pissed off being the better man being the sane man being the one that makes the right choices man help me out there well well um me and that's something that i guess i've always kind of prided myself on i mean not to toot my own horn but normally and toot away well we going to um yeah, I'm the guest today. Um, but, like, uh, I think that for me, I've always kind of prided myself on being kind of that level-headed person, trying to be a little more empathetic, see both sides of the situation, different things like that. So I, before I, so I try to do that, man. Before I get angry, before I react in a way that is destructive, I try to look inward and like I said, ask those inner questions and try to be constructive. Okay, this is what this person says. This is this person's honest opinion. And before I make a whole bunch of assumptions, you're a racist, et cetera, et cetera. First, I try to, I really try to just have a sensible conversation, break it down, say, okay, think about this scenario. Mm -hmm. How would this make you feel? Now, 
Now look at this scenario over here. Do you feel any different about what I've said now that you've looked at it in this way? I, I really try to bridge that gap because I feel like if I just lose control, if I just lash out, if I just say, well, you know, F you or whoever it is, you know, you'll never understand and it's, uh, you know, whatever. Um, I feel like, yes, I could do that. I, I'm, it's more than within my right to do that. Uh -huh. But what does that really help? I, I mean, I don't know what that really fixes. I don't know what that really helps. So I'm going to try to give you the benefit of the doubt. Now, don't push me. You know, I'm not right. a pushover. But, uh, but I'm going to try to give you the benefit of the doubt, man. I'm going to try to give you some information that I feel will help you. But you've got to want to be helped. You've got to want to be helped. You've got to ask those inner questions, and you've got to want to seek some answers. How has that helped you as a wrestler and in the locker room? Man, well, I, I think it has helped me because, you know, sometimes in a wrestling locker room, especially depending on what kind of wrestling culture you've grown up in. A lot of alphas. You know, a lot of alphas. Yes, a lot of alphas. And one of the big lessons that I first learned coming in was, you know, mouth shut, uh, eyes and ears open. That that was just the the way it is. And so there's kind of this culture of you don't speak up. You know, you don't say um, you don't give an opinion unless you're asked. You're, you're not if you're not a vet, then um, th then what right do you have to speak up? Different things like that. And you need to be listening and learning, listen and learn, listen and learn, listen and learn. And I get that, you know, and that is very much a big part of wrestling. A lot of people, when they first come in and are training and stuff, yes, you should be listening to vets. You should. I would never get on here and say you shouldn't be doing those things. Mm -hmm. But I think the other extreme side of that is, is is knowing when to speak up about things, knowing when to say things, um, especially during this time and period because, you know, there were people who I know who wouldn't speak about these issues and things like that because they're thinking about wrestling. Well, I don't want to lose my fan base. I don't want to lose friends. I don't want to come across this way and then people stop following me or stop, you know, supporting me for wrestling because I feel this way or because I'm a uh, I'm a liberal or because I'm a Republican, et cetera, et cetera. Mm -hmm. So there are people who kind of held back um, b those things because of wrestling. And I guess I'm happy to say that I was comfortable enough with me, I was comfortable enough with my skin that I felt I needed to speak out on these things, on these issues, despite what could happen with wrestling, despite bookings, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, despite the risks. But the risks are there and the risks are real. And I think that overall, the, the best thing I can say about it is, man, I didn't get the backlash I thought I was going to get from the wrestling community. If anything, the wrestling community was helpful for the most part. I didn't lose any bookings from this or anything that I know of. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I, and most of the time, I have been met with support, you know, um, and not all the time, but most of the time I've been met with support and people will say, hey, man, I appreciate you saying that or speaking up on that issue and stuff like that. So it was nowhere near as bad of a backlash as I thought it was going to be in my wrestling community. So 
that helped me, man. It motivated me to speak even more. And it motivated me to go, man, you know, I don't have to be silent about these issues. Mm -hmm. I don't have to act a certain way just because I'm a wrestler. I can act this way and, and incorporate it into my wrestling. I can be a better worker and be looked at with more respect and as a leader if I talk about these things, not if I hide these things away and don't express my feelings. So, yeah, that's what I walked away with, and I think I'm a better man because of that. If I was transcribing this, I would have underlined to be a better man right then and there, better leader, especially the better leader, because that's that's a higher state of consciousness right there. There's, there's Wrestling is it's a complicated business. I had a... Uh, had a really shitty ex-girlfriend, and she was like, I don't give, I don't, she said, why do you give a fuck about wrestling so much? Why, why do you, why do you only hang out with wrestlers and artists? And I'm like, because they're gypsies and carnies, man. Like, like it's, there's, there's a certain vibration we all vibrate at, at the, or frequency that we vibrate at at the same time, that regardless of the fact that if we might not see eye to eye, we're part of the same culture, and it's, there's something completely different about that from rock and roll culture, bands that tour together, uh, mm-hmm. artists that have uh, you know uh, gallery shows together. There's something, there's a brotherhood that cannot be broken. Uh, that is so true, man. It's just a different thing. We're like, a, we, we are really all like an extended family because... This experience is so unique. It's so unlike anything. And it has so many ups and downs. And there's just, and it takes, and I honestly do believe it takes a certain type of person to be a wrestler (laughs) or to be involved in wrestling. You know, not saying that we're crazy or anything, but we are (laughs) unique. We are unique. And I think that sometimes it's just nice to be around like-minded people, you know, where everybody knows your name. Right. (laughs) Now, one of my favorite things about wrestling is the... There's one key aspect that I do not find... It's very rare, even, like, within family, is the aspect of forgiveness that is within wrestling. Now, hear me out here. Uh, A couple years ago, would you have ever expected to see... The Ultimate Warrior in the Hall of Fame, or Shaking Hands with Vince or Hogan, and literally, like it was like I'm sorry, and I'm sorry too, and they're crying, and and it, that's it, it's done. I mean, I've got ants that'll hold a grudge from someone that like accidentally they stubbed their toe on back in 1980, and they still hate each other, <laughs> and they're blood, yeah. and they're, they're blood. But there's there's the aspects of wrestling, and you guys might have to go outside and duke it out for a bit, but at least we handle our own. Um, yeah, yeah. How did you first? I mean, like, was it? A, I don't. Was it like the opposite of culture shock when you first got into the business? When you started realizing that these were your people real fast, or did it take a little bit to like ease into it because it was scary? Man, uh, that's a that's another great question. I think that at first it definitely was a bit of a culture shock and everything like that because I didn't know anything. So I was just kind of absorbing everything like a sponge. And, you know, I just, I, I, whenever I started wrestling and, and I started pretty late, I started around, you know, 25 or 26 is when I really first started training. Can I ask so, how old you are? 
38, man. Me too. No, actually, no, I'm 39. I just turned 39 and forgot my birthday's the other day. No, that's all. I would never, I never would have known. That's awesome, man. Well, DDP, yeah. DDP didn't start till 36 or 38. I think it was 38 when DDP first started. Yeah, yep, and he is, the man, that, that man is my motivation, just the positivity and the yoga, and I do some DDP, I do a little DDP yoga. I do too, I do too. Fle- yep, flexibility is one of my, uh, is actually one of my strengths I bring to the ring, but yeah, like, uh, you know, but, but starting off, I was just so, I was just trying to absorb everything, and my big goal when I started off was, I don't ever want to bring shame to this. I don't want to bring shame to the business. I don't know if I'll make it. I don't know if I'll make it to the biggest stage or become a Hall of Famer or anything like that. But at the end of the day, I want people, when I walk away from it, I want people to say he was a damn good worker. He was good. He had a great reputation. He wrestled everyone from superstars to indie darlings to just a guy who's a year in, and he could have a good match with just about damn near anybody. Man, Jaston was a stand-up guy, and he and he made the business better with his actions and his efforts. I think if I can leave, and that is my legacy, I'll be okay with it. You know, more so than making it or anything like that. So that was always my thing. Don't want to shame it. Don't want to shame it. Don't want to shame it. So much so that when I got back there and in the wrestling culture and stuff like that, I was doing a lot of listening, trying to take notes on people, seeing what was working and what wasn't working, uh, trying to figure out how I could be different. I mean, this was a back to the drawing board thing time and time again, just trying to understand and learn how I could fit. And it takes time. It takes support. Uh, luckily there were guys that stepped up to the plate and supported me. And I had some friends that I started with at the same time. And that definitely helped. It wasn't like I went into that roster in Amarillo and I was completely by myself. It was me and two other guys. So at least I had friends on arrival, you know? No. And and I I agree. Uh, you said something that really stuck out to me. And uh, again, I, I don't want you to take this the wrong way. There's like five bits of advice that I've gotten in my whole life. That the moment I heard it, I knew it was true and to always follow it the best I can. You just added six. Don't wow. don't bring shame. Holy shit, that just rang my fucking bell. Don't bring shame. Um, Hell if, yeah, man. If I might uh, give you one of the things that... It wasn't something that was told to me, it was something that I learned it's part of my own moral code and if it might benefit you because it sounds like you're getting like kind of there but uh, something I, I try to live and die by, it's not like the death before dishonor thing, no, it's nothing so rigid like that always be a good memory I like that, I really like that, hell yeah man that is, we are on the same wavelength right now, it I is, like that it is big do your best to be a good memory. It might not always work because we're human. You, you got to realize that the one of the core elements of being a human is that we're self-destructive and that we fuck up. And the shame mm-hmm. thing is a big thing because that's one of the things I feel is one of the biggest problems going on. Like, and I don't want to get too far into it of, of like with 
because mental health is a, a big like uh, totem pole right now that people are uh, circling, but they're not understanding. And I think the the they're, they're treating symptoms, but I think the the the, the main core, the, the the virus, the problem is that people don't know how to how to shake shame. It weighs on them, and the, it, it can't, they can't get away from it. And the 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 idea yeah. of self forgiveness is. One of the hardest damn things you can teach a human being, whether or not they're uh, Mensa, you know, uh, or Oxford educated, or, you know, just, you know, doing their best. And shaking shame. Man, you ring, you ring my bell on that one. Thank you very much for that. No, I, I really appreciate that. Um, and, yeah, like what you're saying, it, it's true. I mean, there definitely has to be a level of you understanding that, like you said, not every memory is going to be a good one. You're going to make mistakes. You're going to mess up and things like that. But I I just like to believe that you can change your situation, man. I I always try to believe that, you know, if you have the mindset, then maybe you can make the situation a little bit better than what it was. And I'd rather be there than to be somebody who d- feels like they can't change it. And they, I will not make any actions. I will not make an effort to change it. You know, I, I don't, I, and I've been there. I've been in a state of depression and I've been in a rut where you feel like nothing you're doing is working and what, what can I do? Um, but as somebody that was able to come out of that little by little, and it wasn't an easy journey, but I got there and I'm in a better place now, you know, and I and and so that's part of what the living proof moniker is. It's me trying to that's the real message, you know, because wrestling is one thing in wrestling. And but I think that beyond the moves and beyond everything that I do and titles and entertainment, yada, 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 I feel like I'm a wrestler with the real message. And that message is, man. Live, try to do what you can to live your best life because you deserve it. Mm-hmm. And one day, hopefully, you can then turn to somebody and be like, hey, man, that rut that you're in, you can get out of it because I'm living proof that you can. That right. thing that you want, man, I'm living proof you can have that, man. And that's what it's about, man. Motivate others, pay it forward, and keep motivating yourself. I'm really happy that you wanted to talk about this because I actually. Uh uh, on my, I, there's it's not like you really have a Wikipedia page. Like just finding like um, matches I found of you on YouTube or little snippets here and there. Uh, I really want. I, I really got the sense of leadership, and one of the. I, I'm getting somewhere with this. Follow me here. Um, sure. I hate Boy Scouts. Like when it comes to wrestling, I am a heel guy. I want no. I, like when I when Kurt Angle first showed up, I was like, <laughs> "Fuck this guy." <laughs> like, when John Cena came, when John Cena first showed up as Mister Fucking Goody Two Shoes, ah, uh-uh, I'm done. Like that's when I, I stopped wrestling, watching wrestling for a while because of that sort of thing. And but uh, the reason I bring that up is because one of the things that I find is sorely lacking in pretty much everyday life in general. Not, but also especially wrestling podcasts because you get those questions like, "Hey, where did you train? Who did you train with? Who trained you? Who was your favorite wrestler?" Fuck those questions. There's better shit out there, and I had a list of where I wanted to go with this, and we're absolutely where, where I wanted to go, because this is a hard discussion to have. You can't just talk about, hey, let's be positive, um, because most people aren't going to buy it. Like, um, yeah, like yeah. I, I think about, like, uh, 
like in the Matrix, when uh, Agent Smith was like, this is the third version of the Matrix. The first one was actually a paradise, and you fucking people weren't having it. Because <laughs> that's not your nature. And to have this sort of conversation, I don't want people to write it off and be like, ah, fuck this. You know, like, ah, I, don't, I don't want positivity. I, you know, I want to go break something. I, I, they're not vibrating at the frequency I want to. However, you got to get to the right spot and do it. And the third thing is leadership. We keep touching back on this. Sure, I can ask you, like I said, who trained you. What was going on in your mind, the leader mind, when you were being trained, taking those bullet points of when you, if you get to train somebody, if you get to show someone, how are you going to say it to them and, and in a way that they'll, they'll hear you, not just, not just listen to you, but not just hear you. Because I know they're there. Man, that's another uh, great question. And, yeah, um, when, when I was coming up and training, and where I trained was um, in Amarillo, Texas. Um, the promotion now is called the uh, Top of Texas, but at the time it was the NWA Southwest PWF. And I tell people all the time, I don't really credit one trainer. I'm a bit of a mutt when it comes to training, man. I'm like uh, – a, a Ryu or like a Goku or something, man. I just travel anywhere, <laughs> anywhere that I could, you know, yep, anywhere that I could, man, and train with many different people, trying to just hone my craft, hearing different opinions and stuff like that. And, you know, I, but that's where I got the majority, most of my training starting off. They, that's where I learned out of Bob. And it was really all those guys. Like I said, we were kind of just a little family there in Amarillo. And, I mean, there's no need to name drop because I don't think anybody would necessarily know these names of people. But it was really just all of them making an effort to get my friends and I uh, to the point to where we could have matches and stuff like that. And as a matter of fact, uh, one thing I can say about that family there in Amarillo was that my first match – I told them that I was not ready. Like, I know that everybody has that match where the, the first match and they're like, oh, yeah, man, I was eager to get out there. Or I lied and told somebody something. So I told them I was wrestling two years, but I had only been there two months. Or, yeah. you know, sometimes people have crazy stories because they're just dying to get in the ring. Mm-hmm. But remember my story. Don't want to bring shame. So I told them I wasn't ready. I had to be convinced to have my first wrestling match. So, yeah, I'm pretty sure that that's a first, but that's what happened. I told them, look, I'm not ready. I don't want to go out there. I don't believe I've learned enough. I don't want to bring shame to the business. Those were my exact words back then. And I had to be convinced that I was ready. They needed someone. There was nobody that could answer the call. They needed somebody to replace someone. And... Uh, and one of the guys that was training me at the time, he was like, look, I'll lead you in the match, uh, but we got to have you. I got to have you. And I really think you're ready. I think you're not giving yourself enough credit. And uh, we went out there and we killed it, man. It was a good match. It, we were the opener. So we set the tone for the show. And, you know, yeah, that baby, opening match is just that's what I so hear. important. That's what I yeah. want to hear. Do not give me the shitty match first because it's going to shit on the whole rest of the night. <laughs> nah, man. Nah. I, now, I don't know. I mean, if I go back and watch it now, who's going to say it? But I, I, I would never do that, though. I, I, I want to keep it in my mind that it was good. But, right. no, I, I got a good reaction. Uh, actually, 
Um, and, and what they commented on me what, the most, I think, was just the intangibles, like some of the things that I didn't have to be told, but I did. And when I came out, I was healed. And so, and we, it was a mall show. So we were at a mall. So this is one of those where the ring's in the middle of the mall. So a, a ton of people had stopped just to see what is this wrestling thing? What's this show going on? So we had a ton of people. There had to have at least been 300 or more uh, people just at the mall that stopped to watch the wrestling. And we were the opening match. So I come out, right? And there's this little kid. And, you know, the, the customary thing is the kids hold their hand out, right, to get that uh, high five as you walk by. Yeah. So I walk out, and I'm like, what can I do? What can I do? What can I do? I'm supposed to be here. What can I do? And that kid was the first person up, you know. Oh, and, no. and <laughs> Yep. And the way the audience was, everybody could see this kid. So he holds his hand out for the high five. I go in like I'm going to high five him. And then I totally psych him, man. I put the hand down. Sweet. He he totally he totally missed. I left him hanging. And then I just busted out laughing at him. And that place erupted with booze. And I was like, yeah. I did it. I did it. You know, I did it. I got the heat. I got some heat. So I'm, I'm so so that kid. I mean, I don't know. You're probably. Uh, at least on a, you, you might even be an adult now. He's training so, right now. He's pumping. Yeah, he's, he's pumping iron. Like, yeah, he's Justin, training right now. He's training. He's gonna. Guy. Yeah. <laughs> yep. He's gonna. He's gonna start his career and stiff and stiff me one day, and then you know, and then holler, and then just whisper in my ear, "I'm that kid that you left hanging, you bastard." <laughs> you know, but. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, thank you, kid, for helping me get some hate. And I'm um, sorry, but I'm not sorry. <laughs> Man, the one time I saw that that went wrong, what I thought was great was it was a house show. Uh, someone was uh, filming with their camera or their phone, and Kevin Owens came out. It, like it, this, uh, he was still wearing the duct tape, and um, uh, he comes out, and this kid's like cheering for him, and he's like. Screw you, kid! <laughs> like, just goes complete oh. full heel on this kid. I don't even want you wearing my shirt. You don't. <laughs> the kid was wearing his shirt. You don't deserve to be wearing my shirt. The kid erupts in tears. <laughs> Man, he erupts in tears. His mom makes an internet hubbub. It gets back to WWE about this. <laughs> and me and my friends were watching this video. It was my buddy Josh because he's a heel guy too. And I was like, "Man, fuck that kid, little pussy." <laughs> <laughs> like, 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 if if anything in the world, even as a kid, if Jericho had been mean to me, it would have made my life. <laughs> made, Jericho was mean to me. Like, I, I'm blessed. <laughs> no, I'm just, I'm just hating on that kid, man. That poor kid, man. He didn't know how to take man. it. He just went there to go see a show and probably hates wrestling now. But hopefully, maybe he get bulks up and fucks Kevin Owens up one day, man. Um, yep, he, he's coming for you, Kevin. He's coming. <laughs> so, man, I, like you got me in a lost words moment. It's kind of one of those things that it's kind of rare because I usually can just keep talking. The you you've got a good story. You've got I I believe you. That's that's the one thing I, I always look for. Uh, Tony Tony had to warm up to me because I'm a weird dude. And now he's one of my best friends. But it's funny, like, when we'll be backstage, we'll watch, we're watching a match, and he'll ask me, like, you know, what are you thinking? Or, like, what did you think of the match? Or, uh, I believe him. 
Like it's like one of the few like That's compliments cool. I can get is or give is yeah you did you don't want to hear you did a good match you want to know what you did wrong like I I, I get it you don't want me to shit on you but you you also you want to know what you did wrong you do better you know you did well um, but one of the few things I can give is I believe you and you had a barn burner of a match at that fucking show and in Lubbock last month man that was awesome that was awesome I I I, I was. I wish I'd have filmed it. I was I was I was dirt dog tired, man. Like I've I've been holding that camera all day long. Um, oh yeah. But it was like I I, I was I'm sorry I, I didn't film it, but I'm also not sorry because at the same time I got to actually be a fan, which is not something I get to do a lot. I believed you out there, man. I I, I that's why I I took this conversation in this direction. And that is a really hard thing to do, is to get people to believe you. I mean, yeah, you, you can be shitty to a kid and get some cheap boots. You know, it's, that's that's an easy part. But getting people to believe you as a heel, I mean, I'm sorry, as, as a face? Way to go, man. Oh, yeah, man. And I, uh, I definitely understand where you're coming from, and I appreciate that. That's really one of the best compliments a wrestler can get, because... If you don't have any believability, you don't have any marketability. You know, there's got to be something about you that connects. That's the biggest thing in wrestling. If you don't get, learn how to do every flip, if you don't learn how to do every dive, every move, you have to connect. And if you can connect, then it doesn't matter what you are, babyface or heel, you got something because the crowd connects with you. They identify with you for some reason, whatever that is. So, yeah, man, believability is definitely credibility. Now, I, I, I want that's actually where I'm leading to next in terms of credibility. The boys are listening. What are some of the things you're scared of out there? <clears throat> Sorry, I got a fragment though. Some of the things that you're scared of that you wouldn't, that the boys wouldn't think that you would be worried about. Like, what are some of the fears? Like, when you're watching The Replacements, like, what are your fears out there? And, and you know, like, they're like, oh, spiders. Like, no, something different. And, and then Homeboy says, like, quicksand. And, <laughs> and like, well, what does he mean? Like, you know, yeah, quicksand's the mother. Like, no, no, no. Like, when one thing goes wrong and another thing goes wrong. And that's what opened up the door uh, for uh, a discourse for them to start trusting each other. What are some of the things that you're worried about that you might not be too eager to say because it might compromise your machismo uh, in, in the basis sense. Well, for me, I, I really, my biggest fear going into, my biggest fear going into any match is probably just the, the, the fear of, uh, are we going to connect? Are people going to react to this? Is there any believability in this? You know, is the story that we're, t are they going to understand the story that we're telling? I think that sometimes things can seem more complex maybe than they need to. And you're just like, man, I hope that they get this. Or I hope that they understand where we're coming from with this. I hope that this strikes the chord that it needs to. And that's always a worry for me. Every match. It's like, man, I hope that they buy what we're selling. And I mean, I think that because, I mean, at the end of the day, sure, 
I'm, I mean, I'm a, I train every day. I work out every single day. I, I'm not going to fail at, at athleticism. I'm not going to fail in my flexibility. I'm going to have the stamina to get through a match. I know I got all that shit. Mm-hmm. But what you don't know, the unpredictable factor is the audience. Are they going to believe this babyface character? Are they going to be a crowd like you were talking about? They don't like that. They're not feeling the Boy Scout tonight. So what am I going to have to do to get them to connect, to connect with them? Is it even possible? Do I need to go another direction? Like, the audience, it's funny because you would think that, like, it, it, on one end, I'm a performer, so we have to kind of dictate where the audience goes and, and, get, and give them a story that they can follow. But there really is this give and take because if they don't react, then I've got to be able to change gears. Mm-hmm. And sometimes that can be the thing that you fear the most, more than you do an opponent, more than you do an injury, more than you do a spot. It's that. Are we going to connect? Because at the end of the day, that's all wrestling is. Wrestling's life, man. I'm not a wrestler, but it's art. Well, it's art to me, man. Like I'm, I'm, I'm there to make art. And I'm, I'm there to, I'm there to encourage, make y'all look good while making myself look good. But you're, you're doing it all on your own, man. Hey, well, I appreciate that. And yeah, man, and that's half of it too, man. It's art, right? Just like you said. And I want my painting. I want people to see it and go, I understood that. I want them to interpret it and go, man, you know, uh, I I really liked what his rendition, man. You know, I, I like the the broad strokes right here. I like the 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 colors that he used right here. And even if somebody goes, well, I didn't like it as much, but if they talked about it, they connected with it. They they they, they get, it, it at least demanded enough attention from them to feel a certain way about it, Mm -hmm. then I've done my job. You know what I mean? In in the world of fine art, which I think really needs to be uh, incorporating wrestling, and I know you you understand and and feel the same way, but I think, and I think I mentioned this uh, with Eric the other day, that wrestling should be in the Met. It should be in the Louvre. Uh, There's a lot of things going on here that people don't understand. And what you're talking about uh, technically is called form. Uh, when you're at an art critique, the first thing is like, what is it? Second thing is, how is it made? Form. It's it's uh, he used impasto uh, style here, thick brushes. Um, like this is the type of canvas he used, oil on board. And but you're talking about form, and I love the way you broke it down like that. And then of course, then what does it mean? And then last but not least, did you like it? Now, whether or not you didn't like it or not. If you could appreciate the form, I'm not a big fan of the Beatles. I'm, I'm actually not a fan of the Beatles at all, but I know it's good music. I know there's good form there. I know there's good form there. There's some wrestlers like like you know aren't my favorite ones, but I, they've got great form. Like they they just do it. Like Bret the Hitman Hart isn't the most uh, exciting wrestler to me. Uh, I mean, I always played him back in uh, Royal Rumble back in uh, Super Nintendo. Like I always won with that. But that his, <laughs> his form, his technical form couldn't beat it he's gonna get out of your hole <laughs> hold him however you yep. want to he's he's got the form and i really am looking forward to watching you evolution of your form i saw it happening 
And uh, I'm not going to... We talked about it off camera earlier, but what Homeboy said was legit. <laughs> he was uh, he wasn't he wasn't bullshitting, and uh, it's been a it's been an honor to talk to you. It's uh, I look forward to shaking your hand and uh, seeing seeing you uh, keep going and you know get a get that uh, that rocket booster strapped to your back, man. Man, well, uh, man, I really appreciate that and and how you said that though the form and I love what you said there, like um, appreciating the form, like you may not like. This 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 art may not be your cup of tea, but you appreciate the form. I, I love the way you said that, man, because that applies to so many things. Like I think about certain movies. There may be a movie that may not be my cup of tea. Like I'm not gonna play and watch this movie every day. I may not buy it on uh, on my streaming or Blu-ray or whatever the case may be, but I can still respect it as a good movie. I know that it was good. I know the acting was good. I know the story was good. It told a complete story. I understood what the director and the actors and everyone was trying to say. Uh, It had great special effects, blah, blah, blah. Even if it's not for me, I can still acknowledge it as a good film. I I think you're right about that, and that's that's great. That's a good goal, I think, for any wrestler to have. You know, whether they buy your shirt whether they say you're you're their favorite or not but do they at least appreciate you and say man but that guy is good though like exactly. i mean there ain't no joke yeah. there, he is no joke that guy will bring that guy or that gal brings the business and that's such a great approach that that's definitely something to keep striving for i remember i was shitting on uh kurt angle um i didn't like the boy scout but i gotta tell you man one of the greatest moments of my life was at WrestleMania in New Orleans when he came out and I got to personally tell him that he sucked because I fucking love that guy. <laughs> he's he's great. He's not my favorite character, but like everything else is great. And uh, as we wind down, man, how do uh, what do you got lined up next? Uh, what feds do you work for? How do we find you on Facebook? Uh, what what uh, what are your uh, uh, next gigs, man? Awesome, man. And I'm, I'm glad that you keep mentioning Kurt Angle because Kurt Angle is uh, is probably my favorite wrestler. So that's funny that I'm, I'm kind of jealous that you got to uh, tell him that he sucked because that, I think that that's pretty damn cool. But, yeah, Kurt's one of my favorites. I, he's kind of the reason why I wear the singlet. I have certain singlet colors that are kind of modeled after him. Nice. I try to I try to approach the the arrested match the same way he does so try to have intensity try to give it all i got each time so yeah man kurt's the kurt's the freaking man, He's the man. but but uh but but as far as me and, and everything man uh yeah man on facebook Justin taylor just look me up it's the 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 it's the picture of the guy with the three belts you can't miss him He's a belt collector. You can't miss him. Uh, um, Taylor Jaston on uh, Instagram and Twitter. So that's where you can find me on social media under those two names. Hell, if you Google Jaston Taylor, a ton of matches will come up. You'll probably see my Ring of Honor matches. You'll probably see uh, matches from me at all these different promotions in West Texas. Uh, I've wrestled internationally in Canada, so the, all of that stuff is on there. Just Google Justin Taylor. It'll all come up for you. Well, Justin's a 
kind of a unique name. Yeah, <laughs> uh, I, I already subscribed to your OnlyFans. Uh oh, yeah, oh yeah, <laughs> oh yeah, that's on there too. Uh, I don't, I don't wear a singlet on my OnlyFans, so uh, you're in for a treat. Um, uh, <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> but, uh, but as far as where I'll be, man. But right now, um, keeping it just kind of closer to home with Texas. I've just been kind of around in the Texas area, man. But Dallas for Dallas, Texas. Um, here in Midland, Odessa area, there are lucha shows here. I'm some. I'm often at those. Um, in Lubbock, in Lubbock, Texas, uh, um, you know, Rampage Wrestling, Squared Circle Pro, which is where we met. I was so glad you were there. And man, I love Squared Circle Pro. It's bar wrestling. I love the attitude there, the atmosphere. It's great. And Rampage Wrestling is also great too. It's kind Hell of yeah. that family family friendly alternative so you can catch me there too i'm the champion in both of those promotions so whichever one you go to you're gonna see me uh but i also rest i've got some big matches coming up um later on in dallas texas and everything like that man uh t ray watford is a big uh uh indie wrestler here in texas um i've got a trilogy of matches coming up with him we've already booked two out of the three and uh, just trying to look for a place for the finale. Um, I've got some other high-profile matches uh, coming up. Um, I've already had some high-profile matches, too, and just some other people I want to put over. Uh, ROWs, Please do. Please do. Uh, Reality of Wrestling, ROWs, Cameron Cole. We had a great match. Fuego Del Sol, the, 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 the man that just got signed, all the That just elite. got signed. The man that's all the lead. Had a great match with him just last month for Palais Pro. Palais Pro is another great promotion uh, in the Dallas-Fort Worth area. I'll be coming up at VIP Wrestling, and I'll be having um, all sorts of matches with other people. So, yeah, man, this is uh, wrestling has truly been a blessing, man. So definitely check me out. Definitely check me out. Well, uh, it's been nice checking you out tonight, man. This has been one of the best conversations I've ever had. Uh, guys, uh, look him up. He's 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 got a rocket strapped to his back and when you watch one match you're gonna know it so buy the t-shirts so you can sell them on ebay later on for hundreds of dollars uh guys this is minefields this is the indie wrestling report mr Justin taylor it's been a pleasure hell yeah josh i'm out this transmission is over don't hang up this is dangerous
Guys, we're back from a, a quick little break ski. And uh, before we get started, I was like, I want to talk about the trail of Magneto, but I'm just like kind of torn about it because I don't remember Scarlet Witch dying. I read all the X books. I do remember um, the X-23 clone that I barely remember the name of because she just loves little Wolverines and shit. Dying in the uh, New Mutants or trying to do a weekend at Bernie's thing with her. I don't remember Scarlet Witch dying at all. I remember her showing up at the end of the Hellfire Gala and Magneto forgiving her and then being cool and then having a dance and then Kurt transports drunk as shit and falls, you know, sees them dancing and falls asleep and Magneto is the prime suspect of who killed her and the X-Men even invite the Avengers. There's a knockdown drag out. I mean, Dakin gets like thousands of like shards of metal shoved through his back. Um... It's a, the, the last, this is a serious knockdown dragon. Polaris is like, you know, you're a piece of shit dad, and he's like, you're a disappointment. What I meant to say when I forgave you was that I, I don't like you at all. <laughs> and um, he's the prime suspect. Um, the only good thing I, I see here is after that battle, because all of a sudden Magneto, during the battle, Magneto disappears completely. What's happening? Where'd he go? And you see Pietro just hitting him with, like, a million fists at once. And he's knocked out, and it ends up on the Krakoa Bar. We got Blob, who's the bartender. I'm sure you've seen it before. Mm-hmm. And uh, he's serving Toad and Mastermind and Quicksilver a couple of drinks. And Mastermind says the simpler times. And I'm like, oh, shit. Yeah. Old school. The, yep. the only one missing is is Wanda and Magneto's fucked up and Toad goes crazy and then we get these semblances of where Scarlet Witch is at. She's dead but she's not dead. She knows she's dead but she knows she's not actually really dead. There's, there's a great little uh, explosion of flowers out of her evisceration at the end. And some more strange symbols. Where am I? I don't know, man. I just... I, I think this is unnecessary. I can see that. Yeah, I mean, all it says is that they just they found her dead at the end of the Hellfire Club Gala. And they're basically like, where's Magneto? Why is Magneto even important right now? There's so much better stuff going on. With the vault, I mean, they barely touched on that in two issues. Mm-hmm. Where, um, X-23 and, um, not Proteus, um, Polaris? Not Polaris. I'm spacing on Darwin. And another dude go into the, into the vault, and they're there for like 190-something years. And There's so much other meat and potatoes, and why put Magneto on trial? I mean, like, if anything, I'd want, I'd want to know where Sabretooth's been since Krakoa was founded. He killed a human on their first goddamn mission. Mm-hmm. And then uh, he comes back, yeah, we succeeded. And like, yeah, we just made these rules where if you kill a human, we're going to fuck you and put you in a never-ending abyss of uh, of nothingness. Sorry, dude. Um, yeah, they made the rules after. It's like, you know, a bunch of petulant kids playing tag, like I said before. Mm-hmm. I, I guess I'm just pissed off about it. I don't know why. The art was great, but... Yeah, I haven't gotten a chance to read this one yet. and It's cool, but we'll just see what happens with it, I guess. We got to. Give me some Noctera, man, because every time Noctera comes out, I fall asleep. <laughs> oh, you're sleeping on something good, man. Freaking 
This is Denver's own Noctera. Freaking. <clears throat> Are we booking Alrighty. her? Are we booking her? I wish. Hmm. But yeah, no, um, so we start out, you know, they're, um, they're all in this place that is protected from the shades, but we go back to where, uh, we, this book starts out where the shades have first come out, and they're just obliterating everybody, talking about how, uh, it was just, it was just total carnage, their skin had some kind of sharpness to it, that just made, it was, like it was made of thousands of tiny blades, or shards of black glass. Death by a thousand it, cuts. <clears throat> yep. Slicing through people. And this over and over again. All you could hear was the sound. And it sounded like a, a parent telling their child to be quiet. Just hush. <clears throat> and we see Dal and M as kids running through this crowd just trying to stay alive. And we end up waking up in present time. And Val's looking... At uh, Tobias, <clears throat> while he's talking to Blacktop Bill, and we find out that Tobias is actually was the one that sent Bill to murder his own brother and oh. his grand that that granddaughter and anybody else that was uh, with them. And Val grabs a gun and is pointing at the back of Tobias's head, and before she can do anything. Uh, two guards sneak up behind her and have their guns pointed at her. And we end up going through this um, little bit of a monologue where Tobias talks about how, you know, his brother was so smart, but he was just, he was basically too smart for his own good. And he was, he was too busy being a dreamer. And while, you know, while I, you know, he was busy being a dreamer, I was busy being a grown up. And, you know, funding all his nonsense ideas and look where it got us. Is that, like, her blaming him for everything? Yeah, well, he's, uh, he, yeah, he's trying to blame it, you know. He's, like, you know, she, Bailey, the, the granddaughter, is just mad that this guy basically had her grandfather, his own brother, murdered by Blacktop Bill and his goons. And all Blacktop, and Blacktop Bill just just for fun um, doesn't even kill him he turns him into a shade he makes him into the monster that you know that he brought to earth basically right right I'm, I'm, I guess my question is more inclined to he's the petulant child the shitty fucking member of the family that brought doom to us all yeah But, you know, all they're looking for now is this this book that apparently was all his brother's, um, basically his brother's journal, but had uh, at least a, uh, quite a few of the answers as to how to possibly, you know, what to do next, basically. It talks about a, a place they can go and the type of light that could cure what's going on, that could fix the problem, basically. And she ends up telling him where the book is, because if not, they're just going to throw him out there and let Grandpa come in and kill everybody. Right. And, you know, he he leaves them to go get the book, and the two guards are there. And, of course, M, Val, and Bailey get away, utilizing some flashbulbs. But Tiberius he does get the book. And 
um, sends, you know, and Blacktop Bill shows up, and he's just like, you know, and he's like, no, just go, just go kill him. Just go, just go end this already. I've got the book, and I'll let you, I'll let you look at it, and you can, you can, and they're talking about the, uh, the language of the shades, and he's like, I'll let you talk to the shades as much as you want. That way you can kind of figure out more about them is and it, learn that language. Is it is it vocal or is it telepathic? Um, it's it's a vocal sound. It's a sound, but it's it's you you can't understand what it is. Do, do they even put it in letters or do they make scribbles? It's a lot of scribbles. Lovely, I dig it. So he ends up going to finding them in a uh, in this room. And behind them, behind behind it, you know, behind some glass are are shades. And he's just like, oh, you know, you kids, you guys can't hide from me. You know that, you know, they're hiding behind a table, and he's like, that table is not gonna protect you from anything. And then he just looks at, he's like, you know, what the? And M's just like, you know, these are flash pops, you know, now with more chromium. And he ends up busting the glass. And all the uh, the shades come out, and they just start attacking Bill while they make a run for it. And they end up attacking everybody in the building. This building that was supposed to be safe is basically just turned into a just a war zone. It's a massacre. Is the, is the brother really a villain, or is he a victim? Oh no, the brother the brother's a villain. He he did this you know, he he brought this all upon himself, he's willing to destroy what remains of his family just to get more power. Because he thinks he can this book is gonna take him to this place where everything's, you know, beyond beyond the light basically. I, I was yeah. I, I was thinking it'd be more of like a they would go a little bit what would giving him the anti hero be more of a cop out, or is it better that he's a like full on villain? I think I think it works with him being a full on villain. Like he's he's all just about you know himself. He's he's about getting to that point where he's he's out. He as long as he's out, he's okay. He's fine with every, anyone else. Everyone else can die. He doesn't care. Like they're making they're making a run for their truck. That way they can escape. And Tiberius is the only one left. And he's he's got a gun, and he's talking about how you know, you know, you think because you had some dream in the dark, you know things. You know, he's talking about what is Eos. You know, what's the origin of the dark? And most important, who is Knox? You know, these are all these are all questions that nobody has the answers to as of yet. Emery kind of has gotten a flash of this because, you know, he was turned into a shade a couple issues ago, though they were able to reverse it because it was quick enough. But he's like, you know, if you don't know, then you don't know anything. He's like, you have no map. You're just driving around in the dark, you know. But don't worry. The truth is coming for you. It's sneaking up right behind you. And he notices they're looking at him differently. And he's like, what are you guys looking at? And then we just see Tiberius ripped in half by his brother who's who's turned into a shade. That's awesome. And freaking Bailey's just like, Grandpa? And he's speaking that language, and like, but he's he's like, you can tell he's still holding back. He's not trying to get to any of the three of them, right? And she just she grabs the book and she's like, "Thank you." And they they run into the uh, into the truck, 
but it turns out that they don't have it. The truck has no power left. So they were just kind of, they were able to uh, get the car moving because they were downhill. And the, the shades are just chasing after them now. And they're just like, we just gotta get, we just gotta get down this hill, we'll figure it out. And the whole time, like, Val's just like, she has no idea what to do, but for the first time in a long time, she realizes she has hope. That's awesome. You know, she, she, she realizes she can see the sun, and she's just talking about how, you know, hope comes to you at different moments in your life. Like, when she was, as a kid, she was blind, and why she's so used to the darkness. And she looks up and she sees a picture that her brother drew, where he blackened out the sun, and she's she's crying, and just happy, and she turns around and she goes back to that scene where they're running from the shades when they're kids, and this girl reached out and grabbed her hand and she's like, "My name is B B Bellwether," and then we turn around and there's B as an adult. She's the um she's the one that leads all the trucks and tells them where to go. And she's just standing out in front of these three trucks, and she's just smiling and saying, Make it morning, boys. And they turn on the, all their lights, all their brights. That's, that's awesome. And they kill off all the shades. That's and awesome, man. Good. Like, yeah. moment of desperation, it happens in a little shitty truck. I, mm-hmm. I love when that happens. Yeah. So then the final, finally we see... Uh, and we see the remnants of everything. We see a blacktop bill stepping on human skulls. And he's talking about how the, uh, he's trying to understand the hepatongue. He doesn't know where it is now because the shades are all gone. And this guy's like, help me. The, the door over there, please, sir, I'm hurt. And then he looks at the door and he's like, okay, my shades, let's get to know one another. And that's where the uh, where the issue ends, with Bill looking for the shades in the remnants of the building that should have been hope for everybody, but ended up being everybody's doom. That's uh, that's something else, it's because that doesn't happen until like the twelfth issue. Mm-hmm. And this is what five, six, uh, six. So all hope is gone. The 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 pillar of hope has been destroyed. All, yeah. A lot of your favorite people are just dead, or, or murdered. Uh, I mean, all, all the all the main characters are still around. The the, the brothers are dead, but like they, you know, we've gotten we got the truck. You know, they're back with Bellwether. Yeah, but that's what we know. Mm-hmm. That's what we know. The Sargon's back, but I keep telling you all the time, like what the audience knows, which the participants don't. I love that sort yeah. of thing. It, it, the, yeah. the, the drama. What do you yeah, want? I mean, that's happen? the thing is we don't. I don't know. That's like it's. it's they, you know they're looking for Eos now. They're trying to. They, we have no idea who this Knox character is. Right. And Knox is apparently a big deal. Like I'm thinking Knox might be another scientist that helped the brothers bring out the light and you know bring the darkness to Earth. You know, but I mean Knox apparently has some answers and whether you know and he might be a human. He might be some type of human shade hybrid, or can that can talk. He might be, he might be the end all be he might be he might be the end of everything. We don't we don't know yet. I'm digging it, man. I, uh, I, I always miss this issue. 
I, I always miss it. Like, somehow Nocterra always slips under me for radar. I'm sorry. Yeah, you, you can't be sleeping on it, man. This one's, this one's good. You know, you know it's what? A, it's I, an interesting saga. You know what I should do is I should call our good homeboy Ed over at Ed's Comics and Games, and I'm sure he'll find me some first prints. Yeah. And, and uh, make sure that uh, I get what I want. You know, that's yeah. what, that's what happens when you've got like uh, someone's got awesome. the comic connection. The comic connection, someone like Ed. Man, I love that guy, man. We gotta find out. Dude. We gotta find out his birthday. Get him cake, get some hats. Yeah, let's bring him a steak. <laughs> yeah, he could probably use a good steak. We should bring him a steak and a and a, and a beer, and we'll uh, we'll we'll wrangle the customers while he sits and eats for a while. And bring, <laughs> bring him an old. I don't think he's gonna let us play behind the register. Ah, we're, well, we'll just. Uh, we're not. We're not cute little six-year-old girls. No, we're not. Tours. No, we're not. And like, God, that little girl like curating free comic book day was the best thing in the world. But okay, wait. What if we bring him? What if we bring him the steak? Oh, yeah. And then we bring a couple wrestlers in, like on a, on a busy day, and, uh-huh. uh, and we just bully people into buying shit. <laughs> it could work. You looked at that. Uh, you looked at it, you bought it. Yeah, I'm down. If, I mean, if Logan takes his shirts off, uh, you know, every time a, a cute girl walks in or even an ugly girl, he's just like, oh, it's hot in here. Logan takes his shirt off. She spends 150 bucks on Pokemon cards. <laughs> hey, if whatever, whatever sells. Yeah, I mean, if we, if, if we can get Ed over, that's all that matters. Exactly. Um, uh, Catwoman. What about Catwoman? She's got a side piece. No, her and Bruce's love is true. <laughs> you think so? Uh, their love is true. They're married. And of course, they meet on uh, the... Uh, Cityscapes on the uh, the pillars of Gotham City, the tower over one, and make you feel small. And the cityscape is large, but Selena Kyle's got herself side piece. She also has her own specific villain, Father Valley, a specifically Christian, a specifically Christian bad guy that knows how to target people. And he is five steps ahead of her. But we also have a new commissioner that is 100% in love with Miss Lena Kyle. And as the story progresses, he's figuring out what's going on with uh, the old father here. He actually looks like Constantine. Now, Father Fell is whooping the dog shit out of this woman. I mean, like, there is a... Knockdown, drag out, tete-a-tete on this. And it it just happens. Like, the, she's in love with someone else. And as this new commissioner it figures out that Father Valley is not only what Selena thinks is two steps at her, he knows that she's ten steps ahead of her. And who he's targeting. And shows up to protect the wonderful woman in the wheelchair that I forget the name of because uh, I've just started reading Catwoman saves her life he gets his brains blown out and that's it it's oh, wow. it's a parachute he's dead 
there's someone else in Selena's life right now. And the bat knows it. But the thing about the bat is, is, is like, I don't want to diminish the story, but I, I've been in situations where I knew someone I was really infatuated with or loved had a side piece because I was just too busy or had other things that were more important. Yeah. And that's what's happening now. There's no horary, there's no sneakiness or nothing like that. She's, she, woman needs attention. New, mm-hmm. new commissioner just got fucking 86th by Father Valley, who is a million steps ahead of her. I've never seen her take off in a parachute before. Yeah. No, he took off in a parachute. Father, Father Valley, in Father, relation to Jean Paul Valley, possibly? Well, well, Father Valley took off, he's the one that took off in the parachute. Uh, that mm-hmm. would be interesting, especially considering. Everything we know about Azrael's creation and the hypnosis. Mm-hmm. I didn't think about that. That's a great question. Dum, dum, dum. But if he was like a big dude. I'm uh, saying it's Order of St. Dumas, possibly? No, no. He's a skinny little hacker from a 90s, a 94 hacker movie where he's like, I'm in. He's skinny, he's got long, greasy hair. He's no one's dad. <laughs> Um, Could be relative in some form, though. It was just... We'll call him Neo. Oh, dude. Not getting into that. <laughs> God damn it. Not getting into the, the Matrix connection. Um, he's got some cool goggles. <laughs> a lot of good tech, but... I'm liking the fact that the more we get more and more into the intricate uh, intricities... Of what's going on in Gotham? It's all about the bat. Now this one's about his lady is stepping out on him, and he's okay with it as long as he can stop on a uh, on a ledge and get things done for a little bit. And oh, I'm sorry, your new boyfriend's dead. Um, whoops! Whoops! Um, Gotham is intricate. Uh, the one thing I forgot to to bring up while we were talking about Nightwing was that Bloodhaven is. Batman's trying to save Gotham. Gotham is basically mm-hmm. New Jersey. Uh, Bloodhaven is the equivalent to actual Hell's Kitchen in New York. It's a small little area. And that's what he's focused on. And he's not stepping out on it. That's, yeah. that's what he's focused on. He, you're not going to save all of Gotham as one dude. But he's he's doing his best. He's got the money and he's focusing on it. And it was... A, I was happy to read a Catwoman issue. Like, just it just stumbled in my lap, and I said, "Fuck it, I, I got it." And thank you for letting me dissect the best I could from it, from just a, that little bit. Mm-hmm. We what do we got next, man? We got uh, let's do uh, you want to do Legends Arcana or Clown Hunter? Let's do some Clown Hunter. Hey, got it right here. Got a good buddy bow. Yes, sir. And start off with uh, you know, he's in school, getting bullied. He's the uh, new kid in school. Turns out he doesn't, you know, he doesn't belong there. He's a kid with dead parents, and nobody likes him. Freaking, he doesn't, you know, he's at a, he's at Gotham Academy, and everybody knows he doesn't belong there, and he knows he doesn't belong there, but. He keeps getting up because the bullies, you know, bullies aren't going to stop. 
So he, he keeps getting up and he keeps getting knocked back down. And we find out he's uh, he's following a particular clown by the name of Soul. Yep. It's, it's sun in Spanish, but in French it means soil, like dirt. Yep. Seems appropriate. And Soul's been uh, going out of his way to try to recruit people for Joker's gang. And Clown Hunter ain't having that, so he ends up following him into this abandoned bookstore and then trying to take him out. But turns out, you know, that this has all been a plan all along. And Soul ended up blowing up the building. And turns out he's got everyone's favorite new character freaking on the phone. FaceTime, baby. Yeah, FaceTime it. Freaking punchline. Punchline is back yet again, and as per usual, she is two steps ahead of everybody. And Bow is just—he's down. He's getting crap kicked out of him by this this clown, basically, who's grabbed his bat bat and is about to take him out. All while Punchline is sitting here watching, and he ends up having to, you know, kick him in the shin and take his knee out that he already injured. And next thing you know, he's he's picking himself back up, and Punchline's over here just talking about how useless Saul is, and just flips the switch and is just like, you know, kill him. I don't care. I kill one of him. I'll get you know twenty more of them on the streets by tomorrow anyway. Yep. And she's just constantly just screwing with his head, trying to trying to play mind games on him, trying to get him to trying to get him to you know break the bat's rule and kill and then to kill this this poor guy that really you know means nothing to nobody from from the looks of it. You know, she ends up you know he ends up talking you know he's going back and forth with it, talking about how there's there's nonstop chances with Batman. Maybe if we took away all the chances. It'd be a better Gotham for everybody. And then she talks about, wait a second, I'm going to make you, I'll make you forget about Saul. And she's, he's like, you have one minute. And she's like, that's more than I need. And, you know, she's already working on her next plot because freaking he gave her the time of day. Talking about, you know, you got a lot of heart, I'll give you that. But you're, you know, in the brains department, you're lacking. You know, and she's like, we've been waiting for you to show your face, planning for it. The bomb Saul choked earlier was never meant to kill you, it was just meant to hurt you. It was just meant to slow you down. And the next thing you know, there's just a barrage of clowns coming after poor old clown hunter. And he's making a run for it. This, this confused me. How so? She's only got... So many resources in jail, mm-hmm. in prison. Now, Joker would always rely on sources that he'd be easily dispendable. But mm-hmm. Joker was hardly ever incarcerated this goddamn long. <laughs> yeah. Um, the the amount of people that she would have to have other people kill off to get rid of anyone that talked that got that sort of information for her. Like, a la, you know, the beginning of uh, The Dark Knight. You know, Joker says, you mm-hmm. know, kill... There's too many resources that are, 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 are expenditure here. Uh, we're not even just talking... Loose ends? 
Yeah, too many. Exactly. Too many loose ends. And not even the fact she's got a an iPhone or a smartphone in prison. And I just think it's kind of ridiculous. However, I think that the people that were handed this story did the best with it that they could, especially expanding on his uh, origin of being superbly bullied. <laughs> like... If that's the way to put it, I mean, we see him getting like <laughs> next beat level bullied. There's like uh, three, six, nine. There's like fourteen dudes beating him up. He yeah. would be he would be dead with that amount of kicks on a human body. Mm-hmm. But then we get to, I think, what was handed to them. Like a lot of times I read comics, I, I wonder where the editor, like when we were talking about how to talk to reporters earlier gave them direction like get to point A to point B like here's Clown Hunter he's getting he's bullied here's his origin and then we get to the meat and potatoes as we so often say where it was just leading up to the fact that Red Hood is going to be mentoring Clown Killer and that is awesome <laughs> yeah so I mean she was able to go with it you know if you see him but as if it's I think the whole thing ends up being that, like, punchline is kind of, you know, we've always had to, they've made it a point from day one to be, like, she's the anti-Harley. Yeah. But, like, and, but she's, she's, she's even got, you know, she's got a charisma about her. She's able to mentally screw with people on a level that even the Joker's not able to do it. Like, Joker, there's, there's fear. But, like, people, people really take this character for granted a lot. Well, they they con- like uh, the people in the books constantly underestimate her, and it always comes back to bite them in the ass because they never. Always. She she knows she knows how to utilize social media. She knows how to she knows how to manipulate people to get her way. Like she she knows that she knows how to do it with a smile and get away with it. So that's that's a different level of mental manipulation because you know, the Joker's a bastard. You know he you you know you should be terrified of him. Yeah, but we don't, you know that. You don't know this with this character. We don't know how far she's willing to go. Exactly. But yeah, no, they end up they end up stringing him up, hanging him by his wrist, until freaking, you know, some some, some good-hearted hero, <laughs> by, well, not really, it's Red Hood, comes in and obliterates a lot of them. You know, and then, you know, he gets him, he, you know, gets him down and then he's talking about proper training he's like you know hey I'm you know if you need training I can I can give you training you know I'll train you but we're you know we're gonna take down the Joker together and you know at the end of the day Clowner is just like I'll think about it but don't hold your breath you know I prefer to work alone which you can almost, you can almost see Jason in the background laughing about that because that's exactly what he would have said I do I get it man and I like how open-ended it is. I, I, I want to see... Guys, sorry. We actually filled up an SD card. We're finishing up uh, talking about Clown Hunter getting trained by uh, Red Hood. And uh, help me out here, man. We had like 80 thoughts on this, and I'm, I'm really sorry that I didn't notice that it cut out. Um I'm just happy that someone with the balls to train someone with such a rogue little punk can wrangle this guy. 
I mean, if you're going to have anybody train him, Jason Todd's kind of the ideal character to do that. Freaking, he's definitely been there, done that. So it'll be interesting to see where, you know, how that fits in with the rest of the Bat family, that fits in with the dynamic. Interesting to see if he's getting, you know, if they go full bore with him killing people, how Batman's going to react to that. You know, because they're, they're just now finally getting to a decent spot with Batman and Red Hood. Just being and friends. And it'll be interesting to see if they, yeah. It'll be interesting to see if they're able to keep that or if, uh, if this is what blows him apart yet again, because now he's recruiting other people to his ideals the same way Batman did for him. But the ideals are different. There's the fact that he uses guns. There's there's that immediate division there, and then training this little rogue asshole, being the the original rogue Gotham asshole, training mm-hmm. this little shit. Uh, it's going to be interesting, and I'm I'm looking forward to it. I re- just really hope they can flush him out. Like I, I I don't know if it hurt us talk about whether or not people don't understand when Tinian is gone and that that care isn't going to be there I'm sure there's going to be some people that care about it and want to make it as good as possible but then they're going to take some of these characters like Punchline and you know it's the new Harley we're going to make her as sexy as possible and she's going to kill the bat um I don't know I'm worried it works. Yeah, well, yeah, it definitely should be. I mean, it's it might be it might be a great thing. They might take some of these characters to new heights. They might not. I mean, it's just kind of it's always going to be a wait and see thing. We got a few states to look forward to in the next few months, and I'll see where we go from there. Now, I'm, I'm sorry it cut out when you were talking about the uh, legend of Dark Knight, but let's uh, let's just do Flash because it's late, man. You know, uh, we do that. You and I both have a. We'll, re, we'll we'll recap on the next one, and I apologize. Um, God, I knew that was. I, I swear, I knew it was going to happen. I was like, oh, we got like <laughs> 1.5 gigs. That won't be a problem. And I look over, like, ah, shit. Um, <laughs> Flash. Flash never disappoints. Uh, even when he's in peril, like when we're watching uh, Apocalypse War and he's basically piloting the planet <laughs> yeah, on the treadmill. And, you know, there's there's all those different points. And I think my favorite Flash moment of all time, even out of Flashpoint and all the other random Flashes I've ever read, was when John Constantine looked him at the end of Apocalypse War and says, you know what you got to do. Yep. It's run. But they still won. They still won, and that was the point. <laughs> the, most of them might have been dead, but they still they still overcame. They were dead. Some of them were cyborgs. <laughs> <laughs> they definitely they might not have lost, but they definitely. I don't know, I'm not sure they won either. Right. I think that was the point, but nonetheless. How did you feel about this issue of Flash, man? Especially, uh, I, I always dig those uh, issues or any comic where like. Homie lost his job, and like other rich dudes should ah come on man, like come work for me. We'll, we'll yeah, we'll make it happen. Free lunch. <laughs> it's a good lunch too. But yeah, no, I mean a lot of the it's you know Flash is kind of one of the emotional centers of the DC universe. You know he's always you know 
he's always able to use his speed in new and different ways. But a lot of the time, he always, you know, it's he's got to think and he's got to use his, you know, he, he uses his heart and he tell you he's more willing to talk to people than say a Batman would be. And a lot of times, it plays up in his favor. Yeah, we've got Wally West as a Flash now for the first time in a long time. You know, he's you know able to find work thanks to Mr. Terrific and his Terrificotech. You know, he's able to utilize, you know, he's an engineer now, and he's able to utilize his ideas to work with his new group of scientists and help them make stuff make sense. But at the same time, he's able to slip out at a moment's notice when, you know, crime is afoot. A foul. A foul, if you will. And turns out um, Heat Wave is attacking at the pier. And Flash has to make a break for that and try to handle this. You know, he's trying to hold people. He's trying to help people escape and get away from Heat Wave. But before we get to that, before we get to that, like all these scientists that are like bigger, badder asses dudes, like everything's melting. I'm arguing with you. I'm arguing with you. Like, hold on a second here. Flash is like, hold on. Using the wrong metal. <laughs> Using the wrong metal. Uh, we don't care. We're gonna go to lunch. Uh, if, if it works, you know, acquisition it. The uh, computer will order it. And, and then, alright, like, he was just a grease monkey, like, working on actual nuts and bolts, and now he's, oh, I guess it is intuitive. And then uh, we, we flash forward to uh, Jessica Cruz, cruising through the, the, the gal- galaxial sky as a yellow, ear based lantern. Love it. And something, yep. something breaks their barrier. They, they they see something's headed straight for Earth. And but at the same time though, as we're talking like two, three layers going on in Gotham, there's like five layers going on here. His job, his family, Jessica in space, we got something headed towards space. We got heat wave being a suicidal bastard instead of like doing the uh you know the logical thing and just making meth and uh, yeah no he's uh he found out he's got you know cancer and might not be it's not operable and instead of kind of coming to terms with it you know he's just he's fighting back or rebelling and just going to take as many people as he can with him you know and flash that we're trying to save people and at the same time he's turning around Next, you know, he uses one of his patented flash tricks and basically makes a whirlpool around Heat Wave. And ends up making a big splash. Dad joke for the win. <laughs> and he's you know, I'm just going to punch you. I'll punch you 100 times per second if I have to. Or you can give up. Your choice. And Heat Wave's just defeated. He's just like, it doesn't matter. Like, none of this, none of this matters. You know, he's like, I can blow myself up right now. I just end it. You know, and Flash is like, what are you doing? And he's just like, everything's, everyone's out here having fun, not thinking about what's going on in the world. The pain, the hurt, they're blind. But any second, they could all be taken away. And like, Flash just starts talking to them, like, you know, you, you, you paid your dues, you got your life back. What are you doing, man? I'll help. Yeah. That. I'm confused about a few things here. Okay. We're 
Heat Wave is rebelling because he has cancer and he wants to take over with him. He's up against a bona fide member of the fucking Justice League. We're not mm-hmm. talking like like I still don't consider Spider Man a legit member of the Avengers. He's a dude that helps out when shit gets hairy and they need more people. But he's up against the Flash and the Flash is he can travel back through time. Like I would have written this like I'm gonna vibrate at the same exact vibrations of your cancer cells, kill them all, and uh save you. But am I gonna do that? Or am I going to also realize that the point of your whole story here is you have an asbestos heat protective suit. That is so atomic age fifties. Like an asbestos mm-hmm. suit. Like, like he's got a couple of flamethrowers. He's got no superpowers. And he still takes the guy that, you know, leads him to the paddy wagon. Not not an ambulance. <laughs> uh. There, there's so much more that could have happened here. I mean, I get the heart, but I would have. You got the powers. You're a member of Justice League. You, you're, you're saving things left and right. Vibrate the cancer particles out of his body. Uh, go back in time and stop him from smoking his first cigarette. I don't know, fucking anything than beat up a guy on the pier, uh, all uh, you know, falling down. <laughs> if, if you've ever seen that movie. Um, yeah. And then lead him to jail to, you know, die in the hospital lane and go have uh, basically Thanksgiving dinner with his gorgeous brunette wife with ketchup on his face. Uh, I got a problem with this one, man. <laughs> yeah. I mean, at the end of the day, like, he talks about himself. He's like, you know, it's not just being a hero. It's you got to inspire people and you know, how else you can change the world. And he talks about, you know, I've got a doctor friend of mine, I'll send, you know, I'll have him come help you. You know, and that's the whole thing. He's here to inspire people. He wants to make, he wants to legitimately make the world a better place, and sometimes it's that inspiration that'll do it when just, you know, superpowers can't. Right. You know, and, that, and then he realizes, oh, crap, i got to get back to my real job. Yeah. And he ends up coming in, getting the piece, and fixing fixing the machine just in the nick of time. Ah, it's just copper wire, guys. I went to a bunch of, uh, you know, warehouses being constructed, and still a bunch of copper. Now, he just acquisitioned it. Yeah, it was cool. No problem. I mean, I enjoy the happy ending. It's not that I don't like that, but it just seemed a little, <laughs> like, you could have helped this guy a little bit more than just be like, hey, you've got hope. Let's get you right back to the paddy wagon and straight to jail. Oh, go ahead and take off that asbestos suit. That <laughs> probably gave you the cancer. <laughs> well, I mean, that's the thing. We end up with a happy ending. Freaking flashes home with his family. Got some ketchup on his face. Because he's saucy. Gotta love a good dad joke. Good, good, good. Oh, I, got a, I found a really good tomato uh, sauce recipe the other day. Oh, nice. Uh, one of my customers gave that to me. Oh, awesome. That's always a good thing. But right now we end up finding out that uh, apparently he didn't just go back to, you know, Central City Jail. He's in uh, good old heat waves and now in Belle Reve. And before he knows it, he's just like, Waller, what do you want? And she's just like, what I want, Mr. Rory, is to give you a purpose. Oh, 
that was the... Oh, I was like... Mm-mm, mm-mm, Waller. Amanda Waller. Yep. <laughs> I gotta say she's my favorite comic book character as of right now. <laughs> I, nice. lo- I love that woman. I lo- <laughs> She's just... Like, when she walks down the hallways of the prison that she has all of potential members of Suicide Squad or... Was it Project? That's no, not Project X. It's uh, Task Force X. Task Force X. Uh, do they hear her coming with her gigantic brass balls jingling and jangling? <laughs> I don't think she keeps them in her purse, but I could be wrong. Um, you know, she's got you know the she's worried about playing uh, golf uh, with the senator this weekend. You know, that's true. That's the real. That's the real problem. Mm. But yeah, no, apparently we will find out in uh, the pages of Suicide Squad and Swamp Thing what will happen to our good friend Mick Rory. Excellent. Some of us might already know. Yeah. Especially if you're reading from the future, last week's, next week's comics. We got That's true. I'm looking over the list for the comics. King Spawn, Spidey, Avengers... Superman vs. Lobo, Ice Cream Man, Conan the Barbarian, uh, Thor, Wonder Woman, Black Widow, Cable Reloaded, Mom Number 2, Superman 78, Detective Comics, Reptilian Number 3, Checkmate Number 4, Action Comics, Mr. Miracle, uh, New Doorcock, uh, Colin could be on his deathbed still working, and we're like, uh, we're recording, hey, I'm busy, uh, we want to talk about Doorcock, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll make the time. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, Vader, that Texas blood. Something's killing the children. Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Department of Truth. Um, I'm just more pissed that I bought the cover of King Spawn that wasn't the one I really wanted. I didn't know it was out yet. You missed out. Yeah, you know what I should have done is not have gone to the fucking Iron Lion and risk being late home from, from work on my lunch to get the, uh, this painted monstrosity. Oh, we'll get it. We got. I remember. Some days you just can't win. We still won. We're gonna hear. <laughs> we're gonna hear back. We're gonna. People in the new eras. People gonna know that new eras shit. We got good comics. Indeed. We got good action figures. We got the best Booker. You got your artists in residence. This is Minefields. You want to lead us off on this one? Yeah, this is Minefields. This is dangerous. This transmission is over. Buy the shirts. Buy the shirts, goddammit. $22.